Hello, and welcome to the Career Builders Podcast. I'm Mike Bird. I'm Lisa Plain. And today we are talking about embracing your weird at work with our guest, Sophie Lemure. Sophie is in charge of human resources for a gaming company and is an HR advisor for tech startups. She creates human resources processes to support business development, employee hiring and retention, recruitment marketing, and data analysis. She's helped many startups establish their HR structures and brand image as an employer. Prior to that, Sophie worked in the area of employee engagement and DEI at BMO Financial Group. Hmm, Lisa, you know something about that company. Yeah, fellow BMO alum. (laughs) Outside of work, she's an avid reader and likes to host and facilitate safe spaces for conversations centered around neurodiversity. She also has a puppy whom she claims is the light of her life. Sophie is joining us from Montreal. Sophie, welcome to the Career Builders Podcast. Hello, thank you for having me. Thanks so much for joining us. We are so excited for this. Yes. So you have been a career-long HR professional. Can you tell us a little bit more about why you do this work? Yes, um, absolutely. Uh, There's a few reasons. I stumbled upon HR kind of without anticipating to work in HR. I was more in the research space um, with academia and then I was more into the theoretical parts of it. And although I liked that, I wanted to do the full cycle. So the strategy and the implementation. That's basically how I got started at the Bank of Montreal. And I started having a few projects that I grew and that's how I was able to grow in that sphere. Um, And so that's one of the reasons why I love working in HR is that you have a really big scope of projects. You can do a lot of things. When you think about it, not a lot of people are able to define what HR does. It's a lot of things. (laughs) That's what I like about it. I also love that it's centered on people. Um, Having worked before with spreadsheets, like changing commas and like decimal variables, Um, that was really boring to me. Um, and I really like that now I get to work with people. My job is to talk to people, whether it be hiring or, you know, just being the the person that you go to at work, if you have something to deal with. And that's, that's pretty cool. That's, that's a pretty great job. (laughs) That's amazing. I'm a really big fan of just what you said, the idea that people are really kind of at the center of what you do and changing decimals and commas to me doesn't sound like a ton of fun, but I'm sure there are some folks out there who do like it. When you are talking about the idea of, let's say, taking your place at work or embracing your weird at work, this is an idea that a lot of people who are building their careers don't always think about consciously. So what does either taking your place or embracing your weird mean to you? It means, so I got lucky in the sense that I started my career pretty fast and I didn't really know what I was doing, but I wasn't experienced enough to know that I didn't know what I was doing, if that makes sense. Um, It's a cognitive bias known as the Dunning-Kruger effect. This is fully what I experienced. So I, I thought I was like, the, the rock star. Like I thought I knew everything when I started. So I had this sense of confidence and self-worth that I could do things better. And 
I think that was embracing the weird, but that's also something that a lot of young people should harness because we haven't seen everything. And I think being idealistic makes you able to jump on projects and do things and really not have too much of an imposter syndrome, which I think develops with time mm -hmm. in your career. <laughs> um, but taking your place means understanding the impact that you can have by being yourself and understanding that forcing yourself to fit into a box of how to do things will not um, innovate a business. And at the end of the day, businesses and individuals want to grow. And if you have any abilities that are outside of the norm, it's probably something that a business can use to grow. It's something that is profitable, that brings innovation, growth, and not embracing that is a loss for everyone, not just for your self-worth, but in terms of actual ROI for the company. That's so true. And I've seen so many times in companies where people are holding back because they're afraid of what people think of them or how they're going to come across. So I love that we're talking about this topic. What are some of the key factors in embracing your weird or taking your place at work? Um, opportunities will not come to you. If they do, you're lucky. But um, you're not lucky every day of your life. So you need to seek out opportunities. And you probably need to do that by listening and pushing your gut feeling. So listening to your gut feeling in the sense of where opportunities can arise, but also putting yourself out there, which requires us to put ourselves out of our comfort zone. So kind of dialing it back a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, I don't want to sound cheesy, but the, your network is your net worth is very, very true. And I think there are good ways to go about that that are unconventional. And I would have two examples for that, but really like using what makes you you in a way to grow who you are connected to is the best way to find opportunities. And Mike actually did that. <laughs> I don't know if you do that with other people, Mike, but um, you basically, we, we chatted about a potential opportunity and then you sent me books. And I, I thought that was awesome. I tell probably like two people a week about that. I'm not even joking. Wow. Um, <laughs> yeah. And when I started my career, I started doing... Um, like sending birthday cards and then Christmas cards to literally everyone I have encountered. And to this day, I still do that. Um, now this year I didn't. So if no one received a card, that's why. But in the <laughs> sense that, you know, whatever makes you, you and makes you weird and people might not see necessarily the return on investment in doing that, it doesn't really matter. Um, you, you need to find ways to connect with people in a way that is actually you. And I think that is a really good way to both feel confident about taking your place and about the relationships you're creating and also actually creating relationships. Hmm. Wow. There was a lot in that. I appreciate that. And I, I appreciate that, that shout out. Um, <laughs> I can, I can riff for a moment on the books because 
I do send books. I've, I've sent them out a few times. I, I wish that I was in a position just where I had unlimited budget for sending books to, to people. But my goal when I do that is to really recognize people when I believe that they have made a really significant effort to, um, to help me in some way, I guess is, is part of it. And then to show my appreciation and then also make it something that is relevant to them. I mean, I, I, you were someone who didn't like reading at all. I would look to do something else, but I really think that, yeah, for me, I guess, embracing that moment was about knowing that you would probably appreciate those kinds of things, those, those books in particular. Um, and then just like, like you have emphasized just leaning into that gut instinct and going with it. It's really cool. Actually. I still need to read both of them because I haven't yet. And they are like next up on my reading list, like really next up. (laughs) (laughs) I have, I have no worries there. I can also relate to the Christmas cards thing. I definitely didn't send any out this year, although I had every intention of doing it. It just was such a weird year this year. So I can definitely relate to that. Yeah, because it's weird to, I'm going on a tangent, but it's weird to ask people for their personal address. Like <laughs> I, I would mail it to like literally anyone that I know where they were, they were, um, but now being like, hey, what's up? What's, what's your home address? <laughs> kind of creepy. <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, that is an interesting reflection of our world, right? Where we've kind of lost that sense of of natural community. But no, I think these these this tangent you brought us to is an important example of what it means to embrace something that other people might see as weird, because there is oftentimes really big benefit to doing so. And there's also some challenges for people when they are embracing their weird as we sort of talked about at the beginning, or as I sort of mentioned, it it can be challenging to worry about what other people think of you and whatnot. So what are some of the challenges that you've seen people face or that you faced yourself and how might people overcome them? There are a lot of challenges with taking our place. Um, There's imposter syndrome which is huge, especially with introverts, especially with women, especially with neurodiverse people. I have the three, like the triad of um, what brings imposter syndrome. So (laughs) I can definitely talk about that. And identifying what triggers it, I think is really important. Um, It's, there's two things, right? So there's either you're feeling like an imposter and you think you're not good enough and you don't deserve to be here. Or like, when will I be found out about the fact that like, I, I really don't deserve this and all of these thoughts that we have in our heads. Um, and now I don't know if that's normal. <laughs> it's not totally normal. Me, but like, cool. <laughs> um, but it can also be a function of the environment in which you're working in. So a healthy work environment will not trigger your imposter syndrome at the same level as a toxic workplace will. If you're not doing well, you should be aware that you're not doing well. Your managers will tell you that you're not doing well. You shouldn't have to constantly overcompensate for thinking that you're not doing well. So there's those two things. And I know there are other challenges that I can speak out to, but I think the most important one is to make sure that if you are someone that really wants to take your place 
and seek validation in your place from the workforce, you need to be in the right environment because companies will seek out these type of people, um, what they call insecure overachievers. They, they need people like that, right? These are the people that bring results. And it's really, really important to identify if you can actually thrive or if you will overcompensate yourself to burnout. What an important point that I feel like is just really sinking in right now about how the environment at a, a workplace can really impact everything. Yeah, I I am really quite struck. You you pack a lot of punches into these answers, and I am curious to know a little bit more if you're willing to talk about um, the idea of what was it an insecure overachiever? Is that what you called it? <laughs> Yeah, so it's like one of my favorite HBR articles probably ever, which is called If You're So Smart. No, If You're So Successful, Why Are You Still Working 70 Hours a Week? Right. And I saw just the title and I was called out. I was like, ah, no, I'm not reading this. Like, <laughs> no, no, <laughs> I am successful. Don't come to me. Um, but I did read it. And it was basically talking about that. I need to like overcompensate to make up for flaws that we perceive and that others don't perceive and how there are actual organizations that seek out this behavior they named it the insecure overachiever and those are the the people that will bring results because they are constantly working yeah wow i'm like trying not to flash to too many people that i know who might fit this bill and thinking about them but there's something else that I will definitely be digging into with all of that. That's really compelling. So I can, I can see how, how a business might see a lot of value in something like that, or in, in a person who has those kinds of tendencies. And at the same time, like, is there, is that something that if you were in that boat, if you felt like you're an insecure overachiever, uh, how could you leverage the tendencies that come with that for, I guess, the betterment of yourself or your career development? Mm, I mean, if you are the type of person that is insecure, overachiever, I don't own that term. and I don't know <laughs> that much about it, but usually we'll go back to the imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. People who have imposter syndrome are people who are highly intelligent. That has been demonstrated. So you are hyper aware of your surroundings. You're hyper aware of what you're doing and what it brings and how people are reacting to it. And so I think knowing that is already good. Understanding that I feel like I am out of place. I feel like I'm not doing enough probably means that you are doing great, <laughs> that you're a perfectionist and that you're seeking validation from your work. And some parts of that are incredibly toxic um, for multiple reasons, but some parts of that are also good. It shows that you have resilience. It tells me as a person who's hired people that you are someone who is extremely dedicated to their work, but also to finding better ways to do things. So it's 
it's not inherently a bad thing, but you have to identify that you have those traits because if you don't, someone else will and you want to be the person that is benefiting from knowing how aware and intelligent you are. Very cool. Makes total sense. Yeah. Thank you for shedding light on that. And I want to add to like one thing that has really helped me in those situations of imposter syndrome at work of thinking like, what am I doing here? Um, Companies are not charities at all. Like (laughs) we've seen it with the pandemic, right? So if you weren't doing a good job, you would not have a job, um, especially in this context. There's no company that is keeping you employed just so that it will look good on your CV. So just the fact that you are employed and that no one has told you anything bad is probably a good sign. But then again, there's the environment part. So if you're at work and there's someone that is let go constantly without any warning, I think that's a good sign for you that you should not seek any validation from that workplace. Are there any other challenges that individuals who may be struggling to embrace their weird or to take their place at work, are there any other things that they could be doing to really overcome some of these hurdles as they go about their work? Other challenges that you have as a person who defies social norms is the fact that you defy social norms, right? And a lot of people that might be, and I'm not just saying neurodiverse people at this point, I'm going to include introverts. I'm going to include literally 50% of the population that don't necessarily behave the way that businesses have defined is the good way to behave, whether it be in an office or even in an interview. So that's a challenge in itself. And I relate and I, my heart goes out to a lot of people that are struggling with finding a job or closing an interview if they are not within those ranges of being an extroverted person or being, you know, neurotypical. Because it's, it's hard to go around those kind of criteria that have made businesses scalable. So finding an individual that have certain characteristics that usually make them successful. And usually having scalable processes does not go well with making way for things that are unique and special. Mm. Usually those don't go hand in hand. So it's, it's difficult. And I know that a few people that are neurodiverse introverts Uh, social anxiety, more shy, you know, all of those things do not do well in interviews. And I know I've interviewed people. Um, They don't necessarily do well within an office setting. And so I think it's good to find a place that will accept you, first of all, and it might be harder, you might have less opportunities, but those opportunities will be the right one for you, um, right ones for you. So, yeah, I think just it's it's helpful to understand your value. It's really helpful to understand your self-worth. And I think that takes a lot of work in a world that tells you that it's not okay to be you. 
But once you know that, it's a lot easier to go into those spaces and say, you know, I know this is what you will expect of me in this context, and I won't do it this way. You'll get the same result. You'll get a better result, but I'm not going to do it this way. And if a company <laughs> hears that and thinks, ah, no, I want like the same person to do exactly the same thing in the way that I had envisioned it, I, I don't think you want to go there. It also makes me think of the school systems too, because I feel like that type of programming is ingrained in us from when we're, when we're quite young in that the schooling system is catered basically for a specific set of people. And so people who are outside of that tend to feel like schooling can be quite challenging, which then also translates when you get into the workplace. So it's, it's great that we're having these kinds of discussions because I hope that as we continue to move forward, that people will be a little bit more aware of how we sort of interact with, with kids too and how we place certain expectations on them. Yes, yes. And it's the same, the reason makes sense, right? It's really that we have to bring things to a normal, a norm, that concept of taking the mean and adjusting a system to it so that the system is able to scale. Um, but doing that will reduce innovation. It will reduce anything that you can bring that will be your edge. And so in schools, in businesses, especially in tech, I think companies have to have both. And a lot of companies are failing to have both. And fundamentally, that is why they are being replaced by smaller companies. That makes sense. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You've worked directly with senior leaders throughout your career. How does that relate to how you've taken your own place or embrace your own weird in various organizations? So much. I think I was really lucky to have had my first job with, well, my first ad adult job. Well, let me rephrase. It wasn't my first job at all. But, you know, my first job that was important to me with a senior leader. So that was, that put me directly in contact with people that were higher up. And so that removed the aspect of what others think of me is what will get to the top. Because what got to the top was me directly, my presentation of myself. And so mm. I would, I, I think that's amazing if people can have that opportunity, because a lot of what makes you weird and that people don't necessarily accept is kind of how they've perceived it and how they will talk about it after. So if you can remove that part of the equation and actually put yourself out there directly with a senior leader, I think your chances of rejection are a lot lower. So I think, yeah, there's Taking your place means being able to take those chances and putting yourself directly out there. And in my experience and in what I've seen, people at the top are so close to the organization, the profits, needing to make the business innovative, needing to make the business work, uh, needing to keep the employees, needing to attract new talent. They're at this point where they have seen everything being tested and you're out there with, you know, however old you are, wherever you are in your career, and you're pitching new ideas that they haven't heard. 
I'm pretty sure they will listen. I know in my experience, they have because they had tried different things and they had tried those experts and they were like, wow, well, this is, this is simple. Um, you're not a consultant. Let's, let's try it. You know, that mm -hmm. it won't cost them too much and it makes sense. And you're representing the group that usually they do want to cater to, which is, I mean, we're talking to people that are maybe earlier in their career those are the people that companies are trying to retain and hire. So if you're talking for them to people that are not that generation, you have an edge, you have an advantage. Hmm. Yeah. That makes so much sense. Whether you're trying to attract and retain talent for the long run or develop a long run customer base, right? It, it all does figure into like the idea of building a great sustainable business has that long-term vision to it. So I really love how you've kind of said, like, be, be yourself, be that new voice and just lean into it. Did I paraphrase that somewhat accurately? Yeah, you paraphrased it perfectly. Cool. For people who are just getting started, let's say in a new company and who feel like they have a weirdness to embrace, we'll put it that way. Um, new setting, new colleagues, new company culture, what could they be doing to better establish themselves? Um, great, great question. <laughs> Network within your company as much as possible. Um, do entertain those kind of horizontal relationships because a lot of people will seek to have that vertical relationship to the top. Meh. I think that's useful, but not the best thing that you can do. So establish yourself by making friends in every department. <laughs> um, be curious. So ask questions and like really simple human nature Um factors here are at play but like you know we're going to Dale Carnegie you'll get more people interested in you by being interested in them um like do that you know listen ask questions be curious be genuinely curious about how things work and why they're doing it a certain way and who does what and why and who got that promotion and why and how does it work to get a promotion and how does it work to put something in place what hasn't worked for them? What are the projects that they're working on? Like we're going back to that stage of life when you were like two, I don't know how old you're supposed to have those like why years. Go back to that. Just ask questions, be curious, show that you're interested, take notes. And I think at least for the first two to three months, just observe. And then you've established those relationships. You have that knowledge. You have a level of knowledge that people within the company probably don't have after five years because you've asked questions and your entire goal was just to understand nothing self-serving. And I think that's the main thing is your objective should not be essentially self-serving it should be because you want to make things better and then that goes back to you with an, a boomerang effect but as long as you are genuine you are curious and you're actually nurturing relationships in whatever way you nurture relationships right if you're neurodiverse and 
like your way of having relationships with colleagues, networking is different. Do that. That's fine. Embrace you, but don't make it about you yet. Got it. And would the advice be any different for employees who are looking to reestablish themselves within their current organization? I think yes and no. Um, in a sense, if you're looking to reestablish yourself within your organization, um, it's a little bit more about creating those key relationships and might be a little bit less about asking why. Um, because ideally, if you've been in an organization for some time, it might I don't know how well received it would be if you start asking all of these questions about how the business operates and everything. I think mm -hmm. like your time to shine for that is at the yeah. beginning. Um, but you can definitely contact literally everyone in that organization, see what it takes, ask to shadow interviews, ask to go in meetings and take notes. Um, I've, I've asked so many weird things at bigger organizations like can I go to that interview I will be like silent can I like do this and I'll take notes and I'll be silent and I have never been told no I think hmm. people don't ask and I'm talking about BMO I'm talking about like bigger organizations where um just being a little bit more fearless and asking for things people don't generally say no so true I noticed that at some of the bigger companies that I've worked for as well. And even the smaller ones, like asking to go to a board meeting or to be connected to like different people. Um, I, I don't know if it's because, you know, me or the people that I've helped through their careers do things like this were coming from a genuine place, but people are rarely told no if you're coming from a place of like curiosity and mm -hmm. wanting to learn. Mm -hmm. Just from my own personal standpoint, I can reflect on a time when I think I was around 20 and I raised my hand. I was still in university and I asked the head football coach whom I'd already been working for in one capacity within the program to just see if I could sit in on coaches meetings. And um, I, I definitely kept my mouth shut, but that was an important turning point for me because then I started to really, really learn a lot about what we were doing um, and just start to see myself, I guess, in a different way. I think when you start to do some of these things that are so new and different, they begin to reshape how you see yourself. And I think in the long run, that really built my confidence up. So that's really cool. Yeah, I think that's an excellent example of it as well. And I don't know that you need to be confident to do it mm. <laughs> from personal experience, I can say. Um, you know, I've had times where I was genuinely just out of wanting to learn. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's not threatening. So I would also say, like, if you're coming from a place where you want to learn, people want to help you. If you're coming from a place where you want to um, boast your ego, people will not help you. They will resent you and be afraid of giving you more space. That makes total sense. Yeah. Okay, cool. So 
there's been a word that has come up a number of times in our conversation so far. And that word is neurodiversity. And when we think about sort of the, the diversity, equity, and inclusion conversation that continues to be super important, what exactly is neurodiversity, Sophie? I'm so happy for to have this question. <laughs> like smiling. Um, basically, neurodiversity is the idea that neurological differences are the result of normal natural variation in the human brain. Right? So basically, people think differently, people act differently, people have various social standards that they fall to. Um, and it's a spectrum. So they are wired differently. We are higher than most in some abilities and lower than most in some abilities. And there's been kind of this widespread belief that people that were neurodiverse, and that includes uh, dyspraxia, dyslexia, autism, ADHD, aut I said autism, Asperger's, um, and people with social anxiety. Um, there's kind of this belief, especially for people on the autism and ADHD spectrums, that they're kind of not part of society, right? Mm. They weren't necessarily integrated. There is even this concept of high functioning or low functioning or different things that I've heard being qualified uh, with having a neurodiverse brain is like, you're twice exceptional, you're a genius, but you're not good in like some social skills and things like that. And um, that is actually harmful to people, but it's just a way to view the world that is different. It is not dangerous for anyone. It doesn't mean that people are not able to work. It does not mean that people are not able to contribute. Um, it can mean that if we continue to live in a society where we're not accepting of differences. Hmm. It's powerful, right? Uh, it's what you said early on in that response around how uh, society has sort of cast out a lot of people who have a lot of these neurodiverse elements to them. And you're saying that it is really just totally normal and maybe our our definition of normal of what it means to be a normal human being quote unquote needs to be expanded uh, how does that sound to you it sounds great i mean there's a whole concept of it and i won't go too much into it but that people with adhd are basically the hunters and gatherers and neurotypical people are the farmers and so we were just not meant to be in this industrial world. Um, people with a different brain were supposed to identify changes and patterns. They were supposed to be able to solve crisis in like three seconds. And Mike, you know me, like I've done crazy things, but that's because that's how my brain is wired. Um, and I was lucky enough to have these strengths recognized within the business world. So I was able to realize a ton of stuff. But I have peers that were not given opportunities at all because they seem different. And they are different. And you need different to do things differently. Like, that's such a weird concept to me that mm -hmm. we want people to conform, but then we're teaching others to think outside the box. Like, 
people that are neurodiverse do not have a choice but to think outside the box that all that is all they can do that's so true and it reminds me of um a tour guide that I had once when we were in Europe and and they said to me you know the things that you're experiencing here they're not wrong just different and I find that that phrase applies to so many things in my life and I think about it all the time and in this way as well that it's not wrong it's just different exactly it's exactly that it's that people that are neurodiverse uh, have usually internalized their disorder to a point where it is their symptoms are worse because they have internalized society's pressures on them but it's it's not a bad behavior like <laughs> focusing mm-hmm. on on patterns or you know like different things like that like not being able to look people in the eyes or having difficulty with small talk who does that hurt yeah no absolutely this is really a thought provoking part of what was already a really thought provoking conversation so i'm <laughs> I'm stuck here almost trying to find anything to respond with, but I, I would be curious to know how can employers be more attuned to either their current employees or potential hires when it comes to neurodiversity? Um, so potential hires, this goes back to the scalable versus finding unique people model. So Um, A lot of companies have created programs that will seek out people that have identified um, diagnostic within the neurodiversity scale. However, there's a lot of statistics that show that up to 90% of people with autism and ADHD, for example, especially women, are not diagnosed. So I don't really like that model personally for that because we're now excluding people that are not diagnosed. I I think it's at the end of the day for companies, you need to identify what you need and what you need in a developer, what you need in a, like an HR person that solves problems. Um, If you need a project manager or like, it it depends what you need. If it's a salesperson and the person is not 100% good at small talk, then it's probably not a fit. But for a developer, I don't know that companies actually need the culture fit part of the interview or that that they need to, you know, the way that interviews are done and conducted are definitely targeted for people that are neurotypical. And doing that, companies are losing out on a lot of people that are pretty great, that could contribute a lot to the company that are smarter and more skilled than the neurotypical person that is just good at small talk. So mm-hmm. I think, yeah, you're, the companies are losing out on a lot of talent by focusing on like, what's the, um, what are you currently learning? Like, what's the craziest thing you've ever done? And if someone doesn't respond well to that, like, doesn't mean they won't be a good developer. Like, <laughs> That that doesn't make sense. (laughs) No, I agree with that. So in line with that, many people are concerned about how to bring neurodiversity up in the recruitment process or if they should at all. Do you have any advice on this? 
I would say don't, don't. I would not advise to do that um, at all. I mean, if people are hiring uh, or, or looking for a job and I'm hiring, definitely do. But um, if the person that you're talking to hasn't directly spoken out about neurodiversity or being neurodiverse, do not. Um, unless they ask and it's like anonymous and it could make you eligible for a grant or something, a subvention. Um, subsidy but if not no don't do it um the bias is still huge and i i related to how the lgbtq plus community sorry if i did not uh spell that correctly um but how that community was viewed in like the 1980s you would not have disclosed yourself in an interview and i think you should definitely not uh disclose that you're neurodiverse in an interview. And so for just to sort of go on to that a little bit further, um, I've had clients who have been concerned about asking about accommodations and things like that. Um, so the, the general rule is to leave it until after you've been given an offer and then talk about accommodations after that. I would say yes. Now it depends what the accommodations are. Usually for people that are neurodiverse, they are not costly accommodations. It's like noise canceling headphones, a closed office or more flexible hours or all things that companies can do without having to spend a lot of money. Mm -hmm. um, so as long as it's that, I think it's okay to not disclose it in an interview. If it's anything that the company wouldn't already have in place and would require to make changes, I, I think the person does need to disclose it at the beginning of the interview process, if that is the case. That but then sense. like that's, you know, that's not a legal requirement. So whatever someone feels comfortable with, I would not want someone to be discriminated against because of that. And I'm pretty sure a lot of people are. Yeah, unfortunately. Where can neurodiverse employees go to seek support at work? So usually it will be HR or their manager, whoever they're more comfortable with. Um, but definitely go to HR. I think the HR side of me would say go with a documented medical note or like at least a medical document. That is the HR part of me because if you suffer discrimination after that point, you're very protected. Um, so I would say do that definitely. Like there are a lot of people that will help you. I know that I've helped a lot of people that were neurodivergent or like literally now we're going to mental health altogether. Anyone struggling with anything that has to do with mental health, you should be able to go and talk to HR about that. Mm -hmm. um, if you can talk to your HR about that, message me and like, that's, that's wrong. I will help you. So <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah, but definitely you should be able to go and talk to HR. I think it's important to know that HR, if they are a generalist, they're not specialized in this. So come with a list of what you're requiring or what your suggestions are because they are not medical professionals. If they are the HR person that does a lot of things, they may not know how to respond and that can be triggering for someone who is neurodiverse. That can be, you know, a, a sentiment of being rejected. 
So definitely come prepared with things that you believe are reasonable. Do not be afraid to advocate for yourself. At the end of the day, asking for accommodations is only going to make you be able to work um, and work better. So it is a return on investment for the company. It's hmm. a great Love point. It. Yes. We have some questions that we like to ask of all of our guests that come on our show. And Lisa is going to kick off this segment. So what would you say is the most fun that you've had in your career so far? Ah, so much, so much things. Um, yeah, I feel like my answer has changed. Um, because now thinking about it right now, I would say it was when I worked at BMO, which Literally anyone that knows me who would be listening to this would probably think this is weird because I've done a lot of startups and I loved it. But now having had a bunch of people that I worked with, I realized that my first manager that I had at the Bank of Montreal in employee engagement um, was the best person that I worked with. He was such such an excellent mentor and I, I learned so much from him and yeah, sometimes I just look back at how much I learned and how lucky I was to have this person as my manager in my first adult position. And that definitely is the most fun I've had um, that time that I worked with him. Cool. That's fantastic. Yeah. What would you say is the biggest risk that you've taken in your career and how did it turn out? <laughs> my entire career has been... <laughs> taking risks um <laughs> I guess the biggest risk leaving an established job um with an established path to leadership to go work at a startup so mm -hmm. the first startup that I joined um enter at the time it was called um, a lot of people were not sure about my move from something established where it was pretty clear that I would be able to move up rather fast to go there. But I think I learned a lot just by doing that transition. And I learned a lot in that role. And in that role, too, I uh, was reporting to someone who I learned so much from, like these two people. Um yeah, I think I'm, I'm rambling and going off topic, but I think it is so important to work for people that you admire and that you can learn from. Absolutely. Yeah, I could jump on that tangent and run with it like with you for an hour. So we'll, <laughs> we will come back to that at some point, I'm sure. What's the best piece of career advice you've ever received? Don't be afraid to say that you don't know something. Um, that and the concept of boundaries. So like you don't need to answer the phone at 1 a.m. every day. Um, <laughs> that was an important piece of advice that I've just recently learned. <laughs> That's a great one. Yes, and very, very practical. I like that. I think a lot of people could apply that one fairly quickly, but I appreciate your comment around the value of, of boundaries for sure. It's something that a lot of people struggle with. Sophie, where can people find out more about you and the work that you are doing? 
Yes, I am a usually a very, very, very shy person and like introverted person. So you can find me on LinkedIn. <laughs> you can now find me on Clubhouse, which is this new thing where I am learning to talk. Um, and yeah, if you're on Clubhouse, message me. We'll have chats. And if not, I'm on LinkedIn, Sophie Lemieux. Um, people can find the work that I'm doing there. And I'm learning to be even better at taking my place and putting myself out there outside of where I work. So hopefully you will have more ways to know more about me soon. That's so cool. Thank you. You are a really cool just pioneer and advocate, I think of, of something that needs a voice. And I appreciate you sharing everything that you have shared with us tonight on the show. So thank yeah, you. Thank you so much. Thank you both. This was really fun. I hope it was not weird. <laughs> it wasn't at all. It's not been so great. All. No, I very much appreciate it. And I think we can call it a week at that for the career builders podcast. I'm Mike Bird. I'm Lisa Plain. Our guest was Sophie Lemure. You can check her out. Go listen to her on Clubhouse if you need an invite. Well, keep working for one of those. You'll oh, catch I have her there. Like 25. Like, <laughs> there you just go. Just message me. <laughs> Ta da. Perfect. Awesome. We hope you're well and we hope you'll join us again soon. Bye for now. Hey, dear listener. Thanks for tuning into another episode of the Career Builders Podcast. If you love the show and want to help us spread our message further and reach new listeners, would you consider leaving a rating and review of TCBP on Apple Podcasts? Without a doubt, your help would be much appreciated. On behalf of Lisa and myself, thanks, and we'll catch you again next week. Bye for now.